This is the Parch of Shoftim, sponsored by friends of David Wicks, Zal, in his memory. Lili Nifshamat David Ben Mordechai Shmuel Zal. So, uh, the first two topics in the Parsha are the topic of Shoftim and the topic of Melech. Right, these are the two topics. So I'd like to see is whether there is some relationship between them because they follow each other. And this is, after all, part of Moshe Rabbeinu's parting speeches to Bnei Yisrael. So the first pasuk in the parasha says, Shoftim v'shotrim. Okay, Shoftim are, are judges. Shotrim are the executive arm of the judges. You know, the police, they go around and beat people up. Shotrim. Titein lecha. Titein lecha. It's very hard to get these verbs exactly, uh, exactly clear. You should establish them, you should place them, you should have them. Bechol sha'arecha. Bechol sha'arecha. Sha'arecha refers to um, cities, had walls around them. Maybe they didn't have complete walls, they had entranceways. Like if you go to a called Sha'ariachal. Here, that's called sha'arecha. Right? And that was a place, a public place. The Sha'ar was a public place, and the Beitin, din of the town or the city, usually convened at the Sha'ar. At the Sha'ar for, for a variety of reasons which are understandable. Asher Hashem So there's some kind of, it was because Sha'arecha refers to cities. And Shvatecha is a larger subdivision, right? It's not, not a city, but uh, a larger territory, the territory of the Shevet. And you know that the territory of the Shevet varied. Some were big and some were, were smaller because the division went by families in the Shevet. So if there were more people in the Shevet, they got more territory, right? So that's Shvatecha v'shavtu etaam, Mishpat Tzedek. So it sounds like from this pasuk that it was uh, uh, the idea of heaven. Shoftim v'shotrim. But we know that we remember the story in Parshat Yitro where Yitro comes to Moshe Rabbeinu and tells him, you've got to do this. If you don't do this, uh, you'll be destroyed. You won't be able to, to live. And we've discussed, we've discussed that at, at different times. But here, there's no mention of Yitro, there's no mention of this, of the issue. It's sort of like, once the issue is resolved and Moshe Rabbeinu agreed to have Shoftim alongside his own uh, mission, uh, then it's formalized here in the parasha of Shoftim. Shoftim is Shodrim, Titein Licha. Rashi says, we'll look at the Rashi, Shoftim, Dayanim HaPoskim Adin. Right? Dayanim, what we call Dayanim. Judges, haposkimet adin. In other words, uh, there's some question. There's some question that comes up. But the Dayanim take care of it. Shotrim. Harodim etaam achar mitzvotam. Rodim is to, uh, to beat up on them. Right? In other words, they, they're the, the people who create discipline and um, encourage the, the people to go with the mitzvah of the Dayanim. Shemakin, we koftim bimakel So the shofet, those are the guys who sit on the high bench, right, in front of a, a desk, and they say, they pass in the shaila. And the shotrim are the ones who force the recalcitrant to agree, to own up to the psak of the beitin. That's shoftim v'shotrim. So what Rashi is saying is, that it's not a list of things that you do. You, you appoint Shoftim and you appoint Shotrim. But Shoftim and Shotrim are like a kind of a... Uh, they go together. Yeah, a Siddhatan? Symbiote. Uh, could be. Something like that. But, but in other words, that's what Rashi is saying. Rashi is saying that they, they're part of the same command. You can't have Shotrim, Shoftim, if you don't have Shotrim. And if you don't have shoftim, what's the point of having shoftim? You know, this is, they go together. That's Rashi's uh, point. Bekol she'arecha, Rashi says, bekol yivair, right, was what we said. And then, lishvatecha, musav al titein lecha. Titein lecha shoftim, v'shotrim, titein lecha, lishvatecha. 
בכל שעריך, ‫אז 
you know, like you thought about doing it. I mean, certainly, that's a step in that direction, but it's not 100%. I mean, you didn't do it, but you thought about doing it. So, again, lotikach shochad doesn't mean only don't actually take it, but don't even think about taking it. Don't even take a step in the direction of taking it, because when it comes to shochad, shochad is so powerful that there are no tzaddikim and there are no chachamim that can stand up to the shochat. I'm not, uh, I don't have to bring, there's so many examples that you could bring in, in our own uh, uh, situation that I won't bring any. Lotat, look at Rashi, Lotat mishpat kimashma'ot. What do you think about that? No experts in Rashi, what does that mean? When I say, the word kimashma'o means the plain meaning of it, like what the words mean, right? But when Rashi says kimashma'o, what does Rashi mean? You know who asked these kind of questions? The Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Yebbe see the Lubavitcher Rebbe on Rashi. It's good, very good, you should do it. You won't become, you don't have to become a Lubavitcher. But the Lubavitcher Rebbe asked these kinds of questions. When, when, Lubavitcher Rebbe, when, when Rashi says kimashma'o, well, well, what would happen if you just erase it? You wouldn't have that Rashi. Would there be some difference? Would it make a difference to us if that word Kimashma'o didn't exist? It's a good thought question. Kimashma'o. Lo takir panim. You see the Rashi? Af b'sha'at ata'anot. Even when the two sides are presenting their arguments. It's a warning for the judge. You shouldn't be nice to one of the parties and not so nice to the other one of the parties. That one of them stands and the other one sits. Because you feel uh, put down, the Dayan has put you down, the other guy is sitting and you're standing. So obviously you begin to think that maybe you're really mistaken and you shouldn't. Uh, so, so again it says, Lota, Lota Kirpanim, according to Rashi, is an abrogation. Like, when are you Lota Kirpanim? Uh, obviously, if you're, gonna give, if you're gonna lie about the din, so that's obviously wrong. If you're gonna, falsify your judgment. So he says, Lo takir panim doesn't mean that. That's shita. Everybody understands that you're not allowed to falsify the judgment. So lo takir panim means before you make the judgment, before the, the, the evidence is in, you could indicate a kind of interest in one of the characters over the other. And then lo tikar shochat afilush Oh, you see Rashi? Afilush botzedek. You can't even take a payoff to do the right thing. I guess, because the next time you might not be doing the right thing. When he receives the shochad, He says, you can't, you can't avoid thinking more positively about the person who paid you off. You know, you become friends. You become friends. Okay? Or falsify the words of the righteous. Dvarim ametsudakim, mishpetei emet. Okay, so here Rashi puts in that word emet. What does emet mean? What's the word emet always mean? Even for Rashi, like to think about emet is Torah, right? Emet is Torah, right? The Sfirot, Chesed, Gvura, Tiferet. Chesed, Gvura, three. The first three of the seven of the lowest seven Sfirot. Tiferet equals Emet equals Torah. I mean, it's like 1492. Right? It's just like 1492. What do you mean? 1492 is a date. A date, you should know, you should know that date. Right? So Tiferet equals Emet equals a Torah. You should also know. It's just something that you should know. Today, you don't have to know too much because you have an iPhone or something. So it's all in there. But you can save yourself a second on a couple of things. Not too many. A couple of things. 
So he says, then the last pasuk, Tzedek Tzedek Tiridof, Leman Tichyeh, here is a, a warning. I mean, it's a reverse. Tzedek, tzedek, tirdof. You should tirdof. You should tirdof, right? The Maharal makes a big deal out of tirdof. Uh, there are certain mitzvot about which there's a pasuk that uses that verb. You run after a mitzvah. You run after a mitzvah. What, is, uh, what does it mean? Is why is it that some mitzvot, the Tanakh says, you should run after them? Right? So tzedek is a mitzvah shetir doh, that you should run after. So Rashi says, halach achar beitin yafeh, that even if you have a, a, a less impressive beitin close by, but the tirdof is to find the emet. It was you have an obligation, win or lose, you have an obligation to find emet. So that the Ramban explains this in the end in Parashat Kitetzeh, that, that uh, going to the Beidin is a Torah educational experience. Right? You confront people who know a lot of Torah and they determine what your situation is. And since they determine what your situation is, you should theoretically really be very happy about it. So if you have a choice between a Beitin that's less impressive and a Beitin that is more impressive, you should tear it off. You should run after the Beitin that is more impressive, Beitin that is more impressive, in order, <coughs> in order to get the Tzedek or to get the tzedek, because tzedek is apparently um, a variable uh, uh, thing, right? Not every bait din is the same. Not every, even the good bait din, we're not talking about a corrupt bait din, we're talking about positive things, right? But not every bait din is the same. So since going to the bait din is an educational experience, as the Ramban, as the Ramban points out, you should desire to go to the better Beit Din, not because you're going to get a better response, but because the, the, the analysis and the, and the response of the Beit Din will be a positive educational experience for you. I mean, that's, what, that's another reason for going to the Beit Din. But you go to the Beit Din to remove doubt, but you also create, you also connect to Emet. Right? Emet is the Torah. So what does the Torah have to say about my little problem that I have? So the Dayanim will tell you the answer in a theoretical way. That's what a Beit Din, that's what a Beit Din is. You can't always tell from what goes on in Eretz Israel today. Then Laman Tichyevi Arashla, in order that you should live and inherit, inherit the land which God gives you, Kedaihu Minui Dayanim Aksherim, that's what it means, right? It's reasonable to say that these Dayanim, the, the ones who are worthy, to, to give us life, to give the Israel life, just this idea of having Bateidin, it was to have problems solved by Torah, to have a problem turned into an educational experience for emet, for, to get you to, to emet, that is worthy, that's worth it, right? Worth staying in, in uh, Eretz Yisrael or get, having a, a place in Eretz Yisrael. That's what, that's what, uh, that's what Rashi says. Uh, it's interesting that uh, there's a Torah of Rav Nachman, uh, one seven. It's called Eilabish Batim, that's how it starts. So in the Torah, in the Rav Nachman story, he says, he's like, we're sort of asking the question, he doesn't ask it, I'm, I'm making this up, that, he, that he's thinking about this. He says, what happened? How come we, we live in such a miserable galut? We who live in Ukraine, if you haven't been in Ukraine, uh, you know exactly what he was thinking about. Because even today, it's pretty miserable. I mean, outside of Kiev. But you know, like you just walk around in the fields. It's just, it's just awful. So, uh, so Rav Nachman said, 
what are we doing wrong? I mean, after all, we daven every day, we do mitzvahs, and we're like, we're like fair-minded people. How come, how come we, we, we're here in the Ukraine? Why doesn't this galut end? It, it, there is a promise in the Torah that the galut will end, which we're going to come to soon, you know, in the weekly portion, in the portion of, of Nitzavim. The Torah says specifically, it couldn't be more explicit than that. So Rav Nachman, not only, I don't mean only Rav Nachman, I mean, you could ask the question, like, how come we can't get out of here? How come we can't get out of this, this misery in the Ukraine? So, uh, so Rav Nachman says, Rav Nachman has this theory that, that you have to be worthy. What does worthy mean? How, how are you worthy of Geula, of, of redemption? He says, you're worthy of redemption if you could connect to the emet in the Torah. How do you connect to the emet in the Torah? Well, he has a theory about that, through the tzaddikim. But connecting to the emet of the Torah is an educationally positive and also eschatologically necessary uh, uh, a stage. I mean, you want to you want to be redeemed, be redeemable. That's what Rav Nachman says. Be redeemable. How are you redeemable? You you uh, you have to uh, you have to connect somehow to the emet of the Torah. You can't just learn the Torah or be close to the Torah or do the right thing. I mean, all those things are not enough. You have to actually delve, probe into the emet of the Torah, and then of course you'll be. You'll be redeemed. That's what that's what Reb Nachman says to explain the situation that he's in. So we learned about Shoftim and Shotrim, and we saw that it's an educational experience, and that uh, uh, other places in the Torah we have this. Uh, we learn that uh, being in a Beit Din is uh, is like standing before God. It's literally standing before God, and the Dayanim, literally again, represent the Word of God in this. In this particular, in this particular matter, and the reason that there is a fight, a dispute between uh, people—I mean, I suppose that this is not always true—but the reason that there is a that people fight about things is because they just don't understand. If they understood, they understood who was right and who was wrong, and who should get it, who shouldn't get it, you know, then then there would be no fight. There would be nothing to fight about. Right? It's, a, it's the lack of clarity. Lack of clarity. It's also, you know, you know that the Gemara, I mean, there are different theories. The Gemara is one machloket after another. Right? That's what there is in the, in the Gemara. And you know that in the Gemara, mostly, like 90% of the machlokot, are not resolved. Are not resolved. In other words, what we inherit in the Gemara is machlokot. That's what there are. And even though the Rambam the Rambam thought that he could, uh, if not to resolve the machlokot, but he could determine which side of the machlokot was true or correct. And that's what he, he based his great book, the Yadah on that on that idea. Uh, nevertheless, we didn't accept the Rambam on that point. And we still learn Gemara, right? We, we all learn Gemara because we feel that there's some truth in the machloket that you lose out on if you skip the machloket and go just to, you know, just to the, to the resolution of the machloket. I mean, this is, like, like if there's a meaningfulness in history, you see that all the attempts to get people to stop learning Gemara and to learn Shukhrar, for example, have been unsuccessful. I mean, no one is, says you should stop learning Gemara, which is, uh, you know, itself interesting. Anyway, the second topic in this well, parasha. Well, I just want to ask something. I just don't understand. With Moshe Rabbeinu, I would have thought, one would have thought that the, the, this is like his last speech. How can he say without going into detail of election and, you know, I mean, isn't he kind of leaving this such a hugely important subject open up for grabs? I mean, you've said that Tzitzelacha can be given some interpretations. You have heard of the Torah Shabal Peh. Mm -hmm. 
you have heard of Torah Shabbat Peh, and you know that one of the features of Torah Shabbat Peh is it's not in the Torah Shabbat you want to finish the thought? So therefore, it was in the Muslim I don't know, I don't know, but we know that there is a lot of information in the Gemara about these matters. Right. And so that information came originally from Moshe Rabbeinu, who passed out to B'nai Yisrael orally. Mm-hmm. Right, and they were, that's how they learned. That's how they learned. The, the Torah, Shebechtav, was a fixed text determined by heaven. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and the explanations were also determined by heaven, but they were oral. And eventually they turned into the Mishnah and the Gemara, even though the Mishnah and the Gemara are very expansive, a lot of other things in the Mishnah and the Gemara, but, but certainly they contain what you're talking about. So the second topic in the parasha, the second topic in the parasha is about appointing a king. Now this, of course, is a very interesting topic. See the pasuk. The pasuk says, "Kitavola aretz." Right? When you get to the land of the land of, of, of Israel, you get to the land of Israel. It's all introduction. You will inherit it. You will live in it. Right? So then, what are you supposed to do, Marta? You will say. Well, this word, you know, it's a verb. And you will say. Do you mean you have to say? Or you can say? If you say? Should you say? It's like hard to know. It's hard to know what the precise meaning of that verb in Hebrew is. And this is like a crux. It says, if they were, why couldn't they just say, why shouldn't they just say, I want to have a king? We want, we're, we're, like, uh, we're doing well, we live in Israel, we all have property, we have credit cards, everything's great, let's have a king. But why do they have to say, goyim? What is this goyim story? All the nations around us, they have kings. We don't have a king. I mean, you know that in history, in history after Yoshua Benun, came the period of the Shoftim. Right, Shoftim, the judges. Now the judges were not kings, even though some of the judges were offered kingship, but they, they, it didn't work in that way. So they had uh, uh, the judges were what was called much later in history uh, uh, charismatic leaders, right? Charismatic leaders, right? Max Weber, he he invented, I think, invented that term. And, uh, and everybody likes it, so we can use it. A charismatic leader is a person who looks like and sounds like and acts like and is accepted by people as a leader. And so they're willing to go to war with him, follow him to war, even. That's a charismatic, that's a charismatic leader. He has charisma. He has charisma. That's the pasuk. Then Pasuk Tetvav, Son Tasima Lecha Melech, Son Tasima Lecha Melech. It's a mystery. Why is it a mystery? We'll see in a minute. But Son Tasim, Son Tasim, you two verbs in place of one. Right? A very common thing in Tanakh. Very common thing in Tanakh. Two verbs instead of one. In Hebrew, it's called Hebrew. Lashon nofel alashon. Lashon nofel alashon. Which means a language falling on the language. It's like it's reduplicated. It doesn't mean anything, usually. I mean, you could say that it means emphasis. But yet I told you many times that if any teacher ever tells you, explain something using the word emphasis, you should understand that it means he or she doesn't know what, what he's saying. That's what emphasis means. Emphasis is not, a, it's not a, an answer. It's like, I really don't understand, you know. So, sim, why is it sim alecha melech? It sounds like, if you want to say that, uh, that this lashon nofela lashon is like a kind of emphatic, or a 
kind of using, instead of using the word very, very, right? In, in, uh, in some ancient Near Eastern languages, that's how they said very. They said good, good, big, big. Uh, you know, that's how, they, that's how they, instead of saying very, they didn't have a word for very. So they said, they said it twice. They said the word twice. Gever, right? gever. What? We still do it. Gever, gever. That's Hebrew, isn't it? That modern Hebrew is not an ancient Near Eastern language. Okay. You can't have a non-Jewish king. Okay. Okay, so you know that there is a problem. The problem derives from the story with Shmuel Hanavi. The people came, the, the elders came to Shmuel Hanavi and they said, we want to have a king. I haven't got time to go through the, in Shmuel Aleph, Berichet, a few prakim. You have to learn a few prakim. They came and said, we want to have a king. So Shmuel said, no, don't have a king. No good. I don't want it. I mean, Shmuel was like sort of in loco king. Right? He was like the chief. He was like the chief. He was the shofet and he was the navi. He wasn't the king officially, but he was like a king. So when he said no king, so you could argue maybe he was looking out for himself, but he was looking out for his children. And then the story is they, his children became corrupt and they weren't able to, to function. And they, had, they were not going to be the future, so the people really wanted to have a king. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Shmuel, they're not, they're not, it's not you that they are being uh, uh, against, it's me that they're against. And, okay, we'll get him a king. And they found the first king of Israel, whose name was Shaul, right? Which then brought other prophets. Shaul was from which tribe? Do you remember? Benjamin. And, and of course, there's a promise. There's a promise by Yaakov Avinu in the Bracha to Yehuda that the king will come from Yehuda. So now, there's something, this problem. If the Torah says, Som tasim alecha melech, how come, how come Shmuel didn't like the idea? How come he was against it? I mean, even if he had some personal issue, what difference does it make? It's a mitzvah. It seems to be a mitzvah. Som tasim sounds like a mitzvah. Som tasim alecha melech. So, so you could say whatever you want to say. Now, if you turn the page, look, look at this, the Rambam. The Rambam, the Sefer Mitzvot, the Rambam repeats all of these things also in Hilchot Mulachim, Perek Aleph. Hilchot Mulachim, Perek Aleph. But here in the Sefer Mitzvot, a mitzvah, he says, Shetzivana Lemenot Aleinu Melech Mi'Israel. I'll say that again. Hu Shetzivana Lemenot Aleinu Melech Mi'Israel. You understand that at the time of the Rishonim, starting from the Baha'i, Rav Sadiagon, the Rambam, the Ramban, this idea that we can locate the 613 mitzvot in the Torah was very popular, right? People, it was not such an easy thing because there are actually many more than 613 mitzvot in the Torah. But it was well accepted by all the Rishonim that somehow there are 613, right? You remember that Dresha in Lavan, Garti, Vitayad, Mitzvot, Shamarti, that seems to be, seems to be a, a kind of bedrock uh, uh, position. 613 mitzvot. But in order to get 613 mitzvot, you had to compress some of them, eliminate some of them. You had to get to a smaller number. And the only way to get to a smaller number was to, to get rid of the ones that overflowed. You had to get rid of the overflow of, of mitzvot somehow. So the Rambam says, the Rambam says, the mitzvah is shetzivana leminota leinu melch v'Yisrael. There's a mitzvah, there's a mitzvah to appoint a king. Ikabetz kol umateinu v'yanigenu. He will bring together all of the peoples of Israel and give us leadership. V'hu amaro yitbarach, som tasim alecha melech. Right? Som tasim alecha melech. Ukvar, one more line. Ukvar kadam lanu lishonam b'sifri. Sifri is the medrash halacha on the books of Bamidbar and Varim. 
He quotes the Sifri, and the Sifri says, Shalosh Mitzvot, it's also in the Gemara. The Gemara Sanhedrin, Davkaf, Aleph, Omen, Bet, they says, the Sifri, Shalosh Mitzvot, Nitzlabu Yisrael, B'Knisatam, La'aretz. Right, there are three mitzvot that you have to do when you come to Eretz Yisrael. First, Lemanot Lahem Melech, King, Lemanot Lahem Beit HaBechira, Beit HaMikdash, and that's what the Rambam holds. The Rambam holds that there's no doubt. There's no doubt that the Pasuk is a tzivui, and that you have to do what the Pasuk says, and you have to even do it in the order. And he quotes that from the Sifri, which is a Tanaitic source, as you understand. And, and, uh, and that's the position of the Rambam. That's the position of the Rambam. The Ramban, however. The Ramban, if you go back to the first page, the Ramban. The Ramban, you see the Ramban, if you go down about six lines, it says, first he quotes this opinion that, that you have to have a melech, but then he says, so the Rabban says, no, it's not a mitzvah. The Torah is telling us that this is going to happen. There's a weakness that people have. They want to have a king. Why do they want to have a king? Well, they think they're going to have them. They'll make more money. They'll be able to have international relations. You know these words? You'll be able to find favor in the eyes of Kachol goyim. We'll be able to go to conferences, important conferences, and sit around the big table because we'll be a country that has a king. So, so that according to the Ramban, according to that, so the Ramban is against the Rambam. The Rambam says, no, the Torah is telling it's a mitzvah, that you have to appoint a king. And the Ramban says, no, it's not a mitzvah at all. If you read the Chumash carefully, you'll see that what the Chumash is telling us is something that's going to happen. <coughs> when did it happen? At the time of Shmuel. At the time of Shmuel, because if there was a mitzvah, to have a king, they would have gone to Shmuel and said, okay, we want to do the mitzvah. We want to do the mitzvah. Can you imagine if they went to Shmuel and said, we want to take a, a lulav and an etzra. The Shmuel is going to give them a hard time. Of course they're not going to give them a hard time. If they came, if there was a mitzvah, so Shmuel is not going to disagree. He likes it. He doesn't like it. He's not going to disagree. He dis The fact that he disagreed, I mean, he's a novice, Shmuel. The fact that he disagreed indicates indicates that you didn't really have to do it. That's what, that's the point of the Ramban. Now let's look at the Hamek Davar uh, uh, a little bit. You understand, the Ramban is the, the Rambam, sorry, is like the earliest source that we're quoting, then the Ramban, several hundred years later, and then the Nitziv in the, the end of the 19th century. So the Nitziv said, Nitziv says this, Eina perish he says, it, it, it's not really, they don't really say this. They don't really say this, but they have this desire. They have a desire to have a king. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean, uh, as though, as though B'nai Israel have to say those words. They have to say, hey, you know, asima alai melech, or vamarta, asima alai melech. Achein, the fila shon he says, because if that were the case, then we would all agree that it's not really obligatory to have a king. But if you say you want a king, you can have a king. If you don't say you want a king, you don't. It's just like, it's just like the pasuk that says, like the pasuk says, if, I want, if you say you want to eat meat, so this is what you should do. But you don't have to say it. You could be a vegetarian, right? Even, even in the olden times, 
They were people who were vegetarians. the Melech, So he says, we all know that that the Rambam. This is the Nitzim, right? The Nitzim is talking. He says, we all know the Rambam. The Rambam sends it to Mitzvah. So why does the Pasuk Taka say? The Rambam doesn't answer that question. Why does the Pasuk say, Vamarta? As though it's up to you. It's your, it's your decision. Right? So there's a difference if the Medina, if the political entity is, uh, is run by Dat Milucha, the king, or or based on the opinion of the people and, their, and those that they choose. He says, we've noticed, the, the, the Nitzib, right? The Nitzib was a modern person. He read newspapers, which was the ultimate sign of modernity. So the Nitzib knew what was going on. He said, you look around the world. There are some nations that seem to prosper because they have a king. And there are other nations that seem to suffer because they have a king. Right? You know that, that after Shlomo Melech died, after Shlomo Melech died, the people came to his son, right, the king-to-be, or the king who was already king, whose name was Rechavam. Rechavam was, was, was uh, you know, not a, one of the great people. And they said, they said, we can't do it anymore. We can't pay the taxes that your father, Shlomo HaMelech, has demanded of us primarily in order to build the Beit HaMikdash. We can't, we can't do it. So Rechavam, who did not go to that course in political action, said, oh, you think he, he taxed you? Wait till I get there. I'm gonna really, I'm gonna really tax you. So the whole thing fell apart on the spot. That's when the, the nation divided, right, to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom because they wanted to get away from Rechavam. They, of course, they ended up with the Yeravam ben Nevat, which was no bargain. But, but, uh, but in, any event, in any event, that's what the Nitzib says. He says, kingship is not an absolute. It's not an absolute. It's not like Dayanut, where you could say Emet and Sadikim and Mishpat. Yeah, you could, that you say with Dayanim. You can't say that with Melachim. Because Melachim are, are appointed in order to generate power and to, to generate uh, a success and to ge- generate trade agreements. That's why, you have, that's why you have Melachim. So you can't control, you can't control the Melachim. You can't control them. Look further in the Yesh Medina Sheni Cholis Boldat Melachav Yesh Medina Shebelo Melach Harekus Fina Belo Kabernet Vedava Zeh you can't legislate it. You can't decide when, when in a country should there be a king and when in a country there should not be a king. This is a, like the chap of the of the, the Nitzim. The Nitzim is going to make everybody happy, right? Every single position is now going to be acceptable. in other words, in order to have a melech, a melech costs you money, right? It's, a, it's an expense. Melech is an expense, except in England, where they've already spent all that money, right? So they don't have to spend any more money. But, but in a, if you wanted to make a melech, you wanted to have a melech in Israel, so you'd have to buy him a big house, and you'd have to have a lot of cars, and you'd have to have, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, all that costs cost money now so the people 
It's the people who have to create the melech, according to the deceit. Because the people are the ones who are going to be asked to spend the money that it costs to have a king, which is the opposite, not opposite, but is, is against the idea of a charismatic leader. A charismatic leader doesn't need anything. Right? He goes around looking for, for sheep or something. You know, he's looking for his lost sheep, Shaul, and you get him and you say, you're the guy. But he doesn't say, get me a limousine. Right? He, he, I'm happy. Like, he is the way he is. That's, that's the board with a, charismatic, with a charismatic leader. He doesn't need, he doesn't need to dress up because his leadership qualities are innate. He doesn't have to get dressed up, right? Okay, so that's enough. That's enough. So that this, if you, you look at the at the Nitziv, you'll see you see how he develops the idea. But the, but the point of the Nitziv is that it could be a mitzvah to say lemanot melech. When will it be a mitzvah to say? If the people want it, and they all agree, and that's really the argument and discussion that happened between between uh, uh, Shmuel Hanavi and the people, right? Which we call, which Shmuel Hanavi called Mishpat Hamelech. He, he said to the people, he said, "You know what the king wants? I mean, it's an expensive commodity. It's not like you just have a king. You're going to have to pay. You're going to pay a lot of money. The king needs an army. You know, armies they they eat lunch." So they all go and eat lunch. Not like a yeshiva. No, yeshiva, you eat what you get. But in the army, you complain. And it's a, it's a problem. It's a problem. The, 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 how to make, how to make uh, uh, the money work for the melech is a very difficult, a very difficult kind of a thing. So you have in the parasha, the first two, two things in the parasha of Shoftim. First you have the, uh, the Shoftim which we discussed. And then you have the melech, which is uh, uh, a curious a curious thing, a curious kind of mitzvah, where the mitzvah itself seems to be optional, according to the according to the tzibor, it's dependent upon the will of the people. If the people are willing to make an investment in a melech, you can have one. Otherwise you're not going to otherwise you're not going to have one. So you see that within the structure, the, the political structure of, uh, of the Jewish people, there are like two marachot, there are two kinds of, of uh, establishments. What has to do with shoftim? Shoftim tell you the emet. They tell you the truth. They draw the lines. You can't step over the line that the shofet draws because that's what shvita is. That's what emet is. They, they are the, your connection, and you always need this connection somehow, to the truth of the Torah. And the truth of the Torah, once it is established, cannot be abrogated. So that shoftim v'shotrim titein lecha is divine approval for the idea that you can have an ongoing procedure that draws those lines. That draws that this is what this is what the Torah wants of you in in a halachic sense and in a personal sense. The melech, the melech represents represents that you know you could uh, tie on eagle's wings and fly off someplace and do things that that you could not imagine that you could have done. Uh, that's, what, that's what the melech is. Even though the melech is a tremendous expense, the purpose of the melech is to expand, to develop, to change, to make things happen that could not happen without, without a melech. So that in this parasha, in this parasha, I think that the, the Torah tells us, look, we live, we live like two people. We're like two persons. There are things you have to do. We do them every day. And we're always trying to clarify what they are. We're always trying to understand a little bit better. And that's Shoftim Vishotrim. It's an ongoing process. It never ends. Sometimes annoying, sometimes problematic. But it's always there. It's always there. And at the end, 
at the end, I think, generally speaking, we're going to knuckle under to the Shoftim and Shotrim. On the other hand, on the other hand, especially in modernity, we see that the state of Israel, which is a kind of, which is a political entity. I mean, you have to look at the, I didn't mention it, but you have to look at the, uh, at the Abarbanel. The Abarbanel hated kings because the Abarbanel lived at the time of, what's their names? Excellent. He, he was, in fact, a, an advisor to the king. He hated them. He hated them because they were idiots and they were, and they were a miserable people. And so he, he hated political entities. He hated the idea that, that a small number of people could make determinations for a large number of people. He thought that that was, uh, that was a terrible thing, you know. Uh, uh, but, but there's some things that you really can't do if you don't, or you can't accomplish if you don't have a political entity uh, that is working, that is working in that, in that particular, that particular direction. So you have these, like I said, you have this, you know, idea that there's Shoftim and Shoftim, truth, Torah, boundaries, demarcation lines that you can't cross. And then there's Melech. Melech comes from the will that you have, the desire you have to expand, to be more than you thought you were, to have influence beyond the borders that have been, have been established. You want the whatever it is that, that you've done in Eretz Yisrael to be felt in the, rest of, in the rest of the world, in the rest of the world as well, whether you need a political entity for that or not is debatable, but the people of Israel and Shmuel Navi at that time disagreed about that matter. And even though the, the Tzib seems to say it, sometimes it's very clear, but at that time when, the, when Shmuel Navi and the Zekeinim were, were discussing the matter, it was less than perfectly clear. All the best. <laughs>